0: Is there something in your way, a battle you can't win? Do you struggle day to day with thoughts of giving in? There's no reason for despair, He has walked this way before, With salvation flowing free, He's there for you and me, That's what grace is for. When all hope fades away and prayers are only word, just reach out and pray and know he's already heard. He'll mend your wounds. Sees door, that's what grace is for. When the answers just won't come, and your soul cannot be still, when it's all been said and done. Rest in the Father's will There's a multitude of sins Covered by the blood that pours Blood that cleanses every stain So that none remains that's what grace is for. When all hope fades away and prayer's our only word, just reach out in faith and know already heard He'll mend your wounded heart Peace He will restore His arms are open wide Walk through mercy's door That's what grace is for his arms are open wide walk through mercy's door that's what grace is for That's what grace is for. Scripture reading today is from Matthew 6:14 and
1: 15. "For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses." Good morning everyone. Happy Sabbath to each one of you. I want to uh, extend a big welcome and thank you to the Rungwelskis for being here for our uh, special music and closing song together and also for our concert this evening. We're looking forward to that. So thank you. Thank you so much everyone else who participated in a service in some way this far. Our, our church, Sabbath school teachers, it takes all of us, amen, to make uh, this this whole thing work. So thank you all so much for your commitment and and your presence today. Uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer together, and then we will get into our sermon. Kind Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for this day. We want to thank you so much for your many blessings again. Thank you so much for Sabbath. Dear God, as we are starting our sermon series on forgiveness for this this month of May, as we're leading up to prayer meeting and we're praying for revival in our lives. We pray, Father, that you would impress upon our hearts and minds this this healing truth, this healing balm that you desire for each one of us to have, that we would learn um, the steps, this process of forgiveness, that we could have better relationships, not only with you, but with each other. We love you, Lord. Please guide us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Psychologists generally define forgiveness as a deliberate, uh, a deliberate decision of letting go of harsh feelings of, of bitterness or resentment. Um, that is the, the definition of forgiveness. We're letting go of feelings of bitterness and resentment because somebody wronged us, or we feel that they've wronged us in some way. And the Bible is full of stories. And full of, as we just read in, in Matthew chapter 6, it's full of commands to us to forgive. It's not an option. Uh, God is commanding us very much many times to let go of these things. And we're going to go through the reasons why today and then next, our next sermon together in our, in our, as part of our series, we will go through more of the nuts and bolts of that. But this Outline today is making a deliberate decision to let go of these harsh feelings of bitterness and resentment, um, and let's go through that together today. <clears throat> the Bible is full of quotes about forgiveness. Our call to worship today: Paul's admonishing the Ephesians, "Let go of bitterness, let go of malice, let go of wrath. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you." If you want to receive forgiveness in your own life, then we have to be willing to extend that same forgiveness to other people, people whom we feel have wronged us in some way. Um, Jesus doesn't make any bones about it, as Emma just read. He says, if you, don't, if you don't forgive other people for their sins against you, then your Heavenly Father isn't going to forgive your sins either. Right. So this, this is very much a command from the Lord. We take the commandments very seriously. We need to take them all very seriously. Um, and it's it's for our salvation's sake, but it's for our soul's sake. It's, God doesn't want us to live in this state with these feelings of animosity, bitterness, anger. God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have peace in our lives. He wants us to experience His presence, no matter what our circumstances are. And um, this is just another way that God is. Everything that God commands us to do is for our benefit. It's not for any other reason. He wants us to have, Jesus said, he wants us to have a more abundant life. He wants us to live the abundant life that he came to give to us. And this is a power, just like everything else that God commands us to do, this is a power we have to seek from him, right? This is totally contrary to my carnal nature to let go of harsh feelings of bitterness and resentment. That's my nature is to repay. My nature is I want to deal back what was done to me. That's my instinctual carnal nature. And so we have to pray against those feelings and we, we have to make a conscious decision. Lord, I want to be in harmony with you. Lord, I want to reflect your character. We know that the, the Almighty God is he's, he's abundantly willing to forgive, Moses says, He's he's merciful. He's a a generous God. He's a loving God, and He is willing to pardon. He's willing to forgive. Um, And we were created in God's image to reflect those same attributes. They're His attributes. They're not ours. And so when we see ours coming out, we start praying and saying, "Uh uh-oh, Lord, you see this coming out of me. I need you. I need your help to continue to to help transform me. Our story, I'm going to go through this story together with you. It's a story that we're all familiar with. The Bible's full of stories of forgiveness. And this story that we're going to be discussing today, we're going to walk through the life and the story of Joseph together. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to walk through the story of Joseph together. Just a little background, Joseph is, according to the Bible, he's about 17 years old at this time. I'm just going to kind of highlight a verse here and there and just try to talk through it because there's, it's quite a lengthy story, um, so I'm going to try to cover ground rather quickly. Um, but we read about Joseph, what we know about Joseph in this introductory paragraph or story about him. He's... Uh, He's a well favored son. He's the the son of his. Uh, he's what? Did, how does that phrase go? He's um, the son of his father's old age. He's basically almost like there's almost like a grandparent son relationship there. He's uh, he's well favored, and and his dad Jacob doesn't hide his favoritism toward him. He gives him the best clothes. We know J- we all grew up with the story of Joseph's coat of many colors. He was he got the best of the clothes, he got better treatment. Uh we're told that he had brought uh I think he had a I think he had a, a desire to do what was right. I think he had a, a good heart. He desired to do the right thing, and the Bible even tells us that he brought a bad report. I think it's in verse two. Um his father's uh yep, so he brought, Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to his father. And so because of all this favoritism and because of his di- desire to do the right thing, his brothers very much hated him. We know the story. Um, so they hate him, and the Bible says that they could not even speak peaceably to him. They could not even carry on a peaceable conversation um, because of this seeming, you know, uh, what a, I'm looking for a word, because of this just unfairness that they're experiencing in life. Uh, they're much older than him. Got the best clothes. Told on them for their bad behavior. Uh, and to add salt to their wounds, Joseph has dreams. Do you remember what the dreams were? They were dreams outlining that one day his brothers were going to bow down to him. So this further adds to their animosity it adds to their hatred of him that he's he's saying hey listen i had this great dream and we were all out in the field together tying sheaves together and look all of my sheaf rose up and yours all bowed down to me and so i mean you know i and as if he i don't i don't know if he was just oblivious or maybe he was purposefully doing this i do believe that he had a good heart to do the right thing Um, as we see evidenced in his life. He goes on, he even raises the kind of carnal, jealous nature of his father in the next dream when he says, hey, I had another great dream. And look, all the the 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to me. And so he's kind of adding to this problem that he's got. But it gives us an opportunity to see where hatred leads us. It gives us an opportunity to see why Jesus says, don't even hate your brother in your heart. Because you are, you're sinning against him in that way. Because if you harbor these feelings of hatred and resentment long enough, it will lead to a very bad course of action. And this story outlines what happens in the human nature, unchecked, without the Holy Spirit, somebody praying for God to intervene intervene we see what happens okay let's continue on through the story um at some point in time uh jacob sends him to check on his brothers they're all they're all shepherds obviously and so he's sending them out to check on them down let me i don't know where i am in the text probably around verse 12 and so he goes he goes to check on them and now the brothers see their opportunity I'll even quote it for you. I think it's verse 29. They see the coat of many colors coming in the distance and say they start plotting in their anger and their malice. They start plotting, here comes the dreamer. Let's see what becomes of his dreams after we kill him, right? Let's see how this turns out for him at that point. Reuben intervenes. They end up they end up roughing him up, throwing him into a pit. And Reuben thought the Bible said the Reuben thought to himself that he would go back and save him. So he steps away from the scene at some point in time. And so it says verse 22 Reuben said, "Don't shed any blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him that he might he would eventually be able to deliver him from their hands and go back to his father, take him back to his father." So verse 22 that came to pass that Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped him, they rough him up, they take his tunic of many colors, and then they cast him into the pit. Okay. Um, This is where animosity leads. This is where hatred leads. This is where, if we're not praying against these feelings of bitterness and resentment, this is where it leads us to. It leads us down a bad road. It leads us down... Poor relationships, where we're not able to speak peaceably with one another. This is something that we very much have to pray through. We have to surrender these things to the Almighty God, because forgiveness is not something letting go. You can't just try really hard to let go of these bad feelings that we may have. And now I'll get into that a little bit later. But just like anything else, forgiving each other, praying for one another. Jesus tells us to pray for our persecutors. That is not something that I can just naturally do. I have to plead with the Almighty God, Lord, I need you to transform who I am. I need you to work in my life so that I am reflecting your character in this situation. Joseph's brothers are not reflecting God's character at all. They're very much reflecting the character of Satan. Those are the two kind of opposing forces that we unfortunately are stuck with in this world. We have the two sides of the great controversy, you're on one side or the other. And we see what happens on Satan's side in this situation. So <clears throat> they decide, after they rough their brother up, they decide to sit down and have a meal together. Um, you can see where their state, you know, I don't, I don't know how you beat somebody up and then still have the, you know, but that's, that's the carnal nature. That is who we naturally are. Until we're reborn, until we have the nature, the spirit of Christ in us, we, we're, you see what we're capable of in this world. Um, and so they're eating a meal together. They see the Ishmaelite traders coming. Judah says, hey, I have a better idea. It will still result in him being killed because slavery was a death sentence. Make no mistake. They just thought, hey, we might as well get paid for it too, and then his blood won't be on our hands. So in this phase, they're thinking, hey, we can still get rid of him, we can still kill him, and we'll get paid for it at the same time, but it won't be on our hands, right? So that's what they're reasoning in their brain. Keep going down through the story. 28, the Midianite traders pass by, the brothers pull him up, they sell him. And then Reuben returns to the pit, and and they come up with this story. Verse 31, So they took Joseph's tunic, they killed the kid of the goats, and they dipped the tunic in the blood, and then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, listen to what they say. They say, we have found this. Do you know whether or not it's your son's tunic? When when detectives are interviewing or when they're interrogating individuals who are connected to a crime, they look for this kind of language, because as human beings, they're trying to separate themselves. They're not saying, oh no, we found Joseph's tunic. What do we do? We look for his body everywhere. We couldn't find it. That's what the natural response of a brotherly relationship. What do we do? And they would be looking. They say, "They don't even use his name. They say, hey, we found this bloody, torn up tunic. Um, do you know if it's your son's? Uh, rather than saying his name, rather than connecting themselves to the crime, they're very much distancing themselves from the crime. <clears throat> Verse 33, and he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic, a wild beast has devoured him. He goes on down, 35, he mourned for his son. They tried to comfort him, but he mourned. He said, he says, Joseph in his Jacob in his anguish says, I am going to go to my grave mourning for my son. So here, this heinous, horrible act has been committed. I, I mean, I'm, I think of it as a very horrible act. Maybe there's somebody else here selling your brother into slavery, hoping that he dies in the process. That's pretty terrible, right? So if anybody has a right to be angry, if anybody has a right to feel wronged, I would think that Joseph would have that in this situation. His entire life is changing. He's being ripped away from his home at the age of 17. He's being sold as a slave. I would feel like that he would have some, even in the eyes of God, he doesn't. But as human beings, we can justify or say, yeah, I can see why he would be angry with his brothers in this case. His whole life is being flipped around. But notice Joseph Joseph doesn't do this. He doesn't go into a pit of despair. He doesn't go into a depressed state of mind. I'm sure, I know that he struggled with this, this issue of, of forgiveness. We often think that Joseph just kind of skipped his way through this next 13 years of his life. He, there's, there's a, he gives us an indicator that that's not what it was. And we're going to get there in the subsequent chapters. Let's keep hurrying through. So he's been sold. The story picks up in 39. He comes into his master's house. Uh, Potiphar he is sold to in chapter 39. And the Bible gives us an indicator as to Joseph's demeanor. He made a decision somewhere in his life that he was going to follow the God of heaven. That he was going to follow and he wanted to reflect the character attributes of the God of heaven no matter what his circumstances were. Somewhere he made a decision, Lord, I want you to work in my life. Lord, I don't know where this is going, but my only safeguard is in you. And so here he comes and he's in 39. We're in 39 now. Listen to what the Bible says about Joseph. Verse 2, The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him, and then he made him overseer of his house, and that all that he had he put under his authority. Verse 5, So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and that all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And thus all that he had, and Joseph's, he left in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. This is, a, this is an interesting thing that the Bible is pointing out to us. You see, there's some sort of blessing over Joseph's life, and it's because of the presence of God in his life, the Bible says, Okay. Joseph had made a decision somewhere, Lord, I am going to continue seeking to reflect you in your character no matter what. The Bible tells us that whatsoever our hand finds to do, do it with all of our might. So he's continuing to work hard. He's continuing to put his hand to the plow and be faithful even in spite of his circumstances. And you see, he's living in harmony with the Spirit of God because wherever we Whenever we seek to walk with God, whenever we seek to be in harmony with God, that's where we experience his blessing. His blessing is his presence in our lives. Okay, So wherever God is, if we're walking with God and God convicts me in this situation, even though I'm not happy about it, he's going to tell the truth. He's going to work hard. He's going to be a respectable young man. He's going to continue to reflect the character attributes of God right? He's yielding to the conviction of God. These are, not, these are not human attributes. These are not human characteristics. These are godly characteristics. And so wherever God is, there's the blessing. That's why he told Israel and Deuteronomy, the char- his final charge to Israel, or Moses' final charge to Israel, if you're obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Your, pl- your plants are going to reproduce. Uh, your, your your crops, your crops will, the land will yield great crop increase for you. The animals, your wombs or your animals will not be barren. Because he says, if you're obedient, that means if you're yielding to me and my spirit is with you, he will make all these things happen. That's why when we yield to the spirit of God, it makes our life so much better. Jesus came to give us a more abundant life. So when we yield to the Spirit of God and to His promptings in our life, we experience His blessing. And that's what Joseph is doing. He stayed in harmony with God. And Joseph actually gives us an indication. He realizes that's the secret of his strength, is I am staying, maintaining my integrity to God. And as we get through this story, let's see what happens next. We know that it comes to a point of temptation, Verse 6, we just left off. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome in form and in appearance. And this leads to a temptation where Potiphar's wife is making advances on him and Joseph says something. He says in verse 9, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I believe in some way, if Joseph, since he was walking in obedience to God, he experienced the blessing of God in every area of his life. He clearly, um, he knew that if he stepped across that boundary, he would be opening himself up to who knows what. Maybe he would lose his life in that moment. I don't know, but he clearly understood that if I sin against God, how can I do this? He had such a heart, such a mind that desired to be in harmony with God that he's like, how can I do this? It wasn't about, obviously he was a, when you have a relationship with God, there's respect for his master included in that. But his whole thing, he understands these first few verses that God is the one who is taking care of him. God is the one who is blessing him. He's in a very dire situation let's continue on in our story. He's successful. Joseph knew the secret of his strength was in having a relationship with God. He wanted to do God's will. He wanted to reflect his character, and he made a decision to do God's will. This false accusation that continues on through the next several verses now lands him in prison. So his situation, his brothers have sold him. He's a slave. He was doing decent as a slave in in Potiphar's house. But now a situation for continuing to choose God, for continuing to be an upright person with integrity, it goes from bad to worse. Now he's in prison. So you would think at some point I've met lots of people who had far less less, uh, severe things happen to them that are angry with God because of what happened. In their life, You know what I mean? So and so said something bad about them. And so whatever, you know, people get upset at God for all these things, the things that happen in their life. Um, and in this situation with Joseph, because of his integrity, because of his fidelity, because of his, his desire to do God's will and reflect God's character, it lands him in prison. Joseph understands something. Joseph understands what Jesus said when he says, don't think it's a strange thing when bad things happen to you. He says, it's actually a good thing. You're blessed when people revile you and, and say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. It's actually when you're being, he said, in this world you will have tribulation. that's the thing that's promised to us, right? You will have tribulation when you're walking in harmony with God, but God, Jesus said, that he is there to walk with us through our tribulation, to give us his blessing of his spirit and his presence through our tribulation. Joseph experienced God's presence in spite of his circumstances. The presence of the spirit in our life automatically leads to peace in our life. In the life of this life of Joseph, we, we learn and understand that we see his dependence on God. We see the secret of his strength is dependence on God every step of the way. His fidelity to God, his integrity, his, his love for God is what carries him through this thing. Let's continue on. We know the story. He's in the prison. And this is where, and this is where. You know, you could think of it as a very bad thing, but if Joseph had never gone to prison, would he have ended up in the palace, right? Remember, it was the chief butler, the chief baker who got sent there, and they're the ones who had connection with him, that this man can, dream, can read dreams, he can interpret dreams. So if he hadn't gone to prison, would he have ended up as second in command? You know, would he have ended up in the prominent position that he was in? I don't know if he would have. That's why, that's why no matter what our circumstances are, if we've entrusted our life to God, no matter what is happening, no matter what's coming on the horizon or no matter what is plaguing us, we can trust and know that God is in control. God is going to take care of us. Um, if God can take care of Joseph in this lowest prison system that he was stuck in, God can take care of us no matter what's on the horizon for us as well. And I know there's many, there's a lot of anxiety in our world today, but these types of stories illustrate God's power and ability to take care of us no matter what our circumstances are. I've just got to skip ahead. I'm running out of time. Let's go to 42. Joseph is eventually made governor over all the land. He, you know, obviously he went to prison. He's elevated from there because of his ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh has dreams. And he, the, Joseph accurately interprets those dreams, um, that there's, God is giving them uh, a prophecy that there's going to be seven good years ahead and there's going to be seven bad years after that. So Joseph is placed in charge of all those things. <clears throat> and now who comes to town? So let's do the math. Joseph is how old when he, was sent, when he was sold? The Bible tells us, I should have read it for you, the Bible tells us that he was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. So there's seven years, I'm for, fast forwarding for us, unfortunately, this, is, this sermon is longer than I realized, Fast forward seven years, so that puts him at 37 years old. That's the the good times. That's the the healthy years where he's saving grain. And now we're two years into the famine. So we are 22 years post-sold into slavery, and we are now two years into the famine. Now, verse 6, 42 and verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over all the land, and it was he who sold all to the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. When he said to them, where do you come from? They said, the land of Canaan to buy food. Um, this is very much a fulfillment of the prophecy that, was, that Joseph was given. I skipped something important that I did not want to skip. I apologize. I'm going too quickly. I've got too much. I needed three sermons to do this, not not two. Okay, so as I was highlighting a minute ago, we often think of Joseph as just kind of skipping through this experience, and it was just he just did everything right and it was perfect, and he never had these feelings of bitterness and anger and animosity. Joseph was very much human, just like us. And he had to surrender these feelings, these hurt feelings, this, this bitterness, this anger. He had to do the same thing. And here's why I think that. 41. You're on 42, but go to 41. And I'm going to read a couple verses for you. 41, 50, and 51. Joseph is now on the other side of his slavery. He's living good now. 50, and it says... And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And he says this, For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. You see, when you're bound by the circumstances of a decision or when you're bound by the circumstances that maybe somebody else has left you in, there's, there's going to be feelings of bitterness and anger and resentment. I would be in that situation if I was sold as a slave. And then, then for me doing the right thing, then I'm put in prison, okay? I would have, my nature would mull that over a lot and I would be very angry because of where I was. And hopefully I would make the right decision and I would continue staying faithful and doing my jobs dutifully. But Joseph gives us an indication of his humanity there when he says, now he's on the other side. He's no longer stuck in those circumstances that his brothers left him in. He says this, he says, God has caused me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. This forgiveness thing is a gift of God. It's something that we have to pray for. And there is something very healing in it that God does in our minds that we're able to let go of those things. But it's a gift. It's something we have to pray for and say, Lord, I, am, I don't want to live this way. Lord, I don't want to harbor these, this hatred towards somebody for what they said, for what they did. Lord, I'm surrendering these things to you. Help me to overcome this. Help me. And so because God literally rearranged his circumstances, he's in a different place in life. And he says, God has caused me to forget all the pain that I've gone through in the last however many years of his life. Joseph's brothers come to town. And he speaks roughly to them, as we just read. 42, listen to what happens. I'll wrap up soon after this, I promise. 42, 21. This is 22 years later. 22 years. And the Bible says, he's speaking roughly to them. They're coming to this moment. They're meeting him. They're bowing down before him. But because they're dealing with this difficulty, listen to what happens. This is 22 years later. Verse 21, Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Verse 22, And Reuben answered him, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and we would not listen, you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Joseph is testing these men. This is an aspect of forgiveness that Well, it makes it easier to forgive people when you see that they are very sorrowful for what they did. It makes it easier for me, anyway, when the person owns up and says, You know what? I said that. I did that. I'm sorry. Please, will you forgive me? That makes it easier for me because I see a change that they were convicted and they responded to that conviction. These men, these men have been tortured by this lie. It's 22 years later. And they talk about this event as if it just happened yesterday. Don't you remember the anguish of his soul and you guys wouldn't listen to him? Now that's why all this evil is coming upon us. And Joseph, when he hears this, he's weeping because he has spent so many nights thinking about his family and what happened to him. Turn the page one more time and we'll close. He reveals himself. He, He tests them. He sees that they're very repentant for what happened. They're beside themselves when they finally meet him. But listen to what Joseph says. Joseph says to his brothers, Let's see, verse 3. Then Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph says to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be angry or grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years in the famine have been in the land, there are still five more. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph very much saw his situation in light of the great controversy. He was not blaming human beings. He understood that these people were acting in a way that that was not in harmony with God. He, He understood he wasn't holding it against them. He had very much forgiven them and let go of the harsh feelings of bitterness by this point in time. He's saying, don't think it was you who sent me here. God sent me here to preserve life. And he had to deal with a very hellish experience up until that point in time. But because he knew the secret of his strength was maintaining a relationship with God, he was able to forgive them. He was able to work through his situation and God elevated him in a miraculous way from a slave to a prisoner to basically the second in command of the entire nation. Forgiveness is letting go of those difficult feelings those the feelings of bitterness and resentment but forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation in this case because the brothers owned up to their wrongdoing because they felt terrible about it joseph saw through his test that he could trust them again and that they were they could have a relationship again because they they both were they're both very both parties were very sorrowful for what had happened but there are times and we've probably all experienced this where you're holding on to feelings of diff- of harsh feelings of bitterness and resentment against someone and maybe you're praying through trying to let go of those things but reconciliation isn't the best idea if the person has not changed. If the person is not remorseful for what they've done, it may not be the best thing for you in the relationship to, to be reconciled to that person because they may just continue going on doing the same things over and over again. Okay? So there's times when reconciliation occurs. In this situation, reconciliation does occur. And among brothers and sisters, we need to strive for that. That's what we'll be coming, going through next week together or next time that I'm here. We'll be going through the steps, Matthew 18 steps, of working through forgiveness. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want reconciliation. We want harmony. We want to be able to reflect God in the way that we're called to do. But there are times if the person is unrepentant, unremorseful, it's not safe. You can let go of those feelings. God wants you to give you that victory in your life. It's healthier for you. Uh, I think, and I wish I had the statistic in my brain, I've lost it. But there's, there's a, a good percentage of our health problems. You find, you find somebody who's very bitter and angry and mean and resentful, their health is very adversely reflected in their physical health is very adversely affected because of that. It cures forgiveness. God, God knows what he's doing. We weren't designed to be hateful. We weren't designed to be angry. We weren't designed to be miserable, okay? So God wants us to let go of those things. It's important because it affects our relationship with God, uh, Quick story for you before I close. When we first got married, um, Emily was, uh, we'll go through some of our forgiveness stories next time together. Um, because as, human, as husbands and wives, that's something you work through a lot, especially early in your marriage. You really got to figure out that process. But this is another example. Um, I came home from work And Emily tells me that the sink is just, the kitchen sink is just stopped. It's just full of water. And there was no indication of it slowing down. There was no indication of it, um, you know, showing any sign that there was plugging up. It was just fine. And then it just stopped. It was, there was no longer water flowing through that pipe. And uh, so, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know anything about plumbing. I still don't know that much about it. But I crawl underneath the sink, and I'm, I, think we had, I think I had started putting Drano into it, and that did nothing. And so I, I had to crawl underneath and tear the thing apart and try not to get chemicals all over me from the Drano. And when I pull it apart, you know that, what is that, a P-trap under there? I'm looking into that thing, and it is just solid like a wax plug in that thing. That's what it looked like. It looked like a plug full of lard or something. Um, and I'm going, well, here's the problem. What is this? And I'm showing it to her, and, and she's, she's looking at it. And you know, at this point in her life, she didn't have enough life experience to know that you don't, you don't dump coconut oil down the pipe because as it, as it gets cools, it hardens, right? So when coconut oil is below a certain temperature, it is a solid, well, when you heat it up it's it's an oil and so anyway, we learned that you don't do that but I liken this when we harbor bitterness and anger and resentment, those are not attributes of God okay and so we are hindering the flow of the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in us freely when we're harboring these things okay so we need to pray very much so for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to to help us to let go of these things so that God can use us effectively, but also that's individually, that's within our own family, but also corporately as a church. We want to have good relationships that we're not harboring evil or bad feelings against each other because the Holy Spirit cannot work in all of us. It just stops. There's a plug. There's a, it's backed up. It won't. We won't be able to function the way that we're supposed to as an individual or as a church. So I believe that this forgiveness-healing process, God works in a mighty way to change us, and it's healing for relationships. And we're going to talk more about this the next time we're together. But I want to, I want to, my appeal for each one of us today is who do you need to call today? Who do you need? What are you still harboring in your life that is hindering the spirit of God from working in you in the way that he wants to? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe you're on the other side of that, and you're saying, I did or said or whatever the X amount of years ago, and our relationship has been strained ever since. I need to call that person. I want to ask for forgiveness on the other side. God wants to do a mighty work. We're praying for revival, right? Well, one of the steps to getting to a place of revival is for the Holy Spirit to actually be able to work and function in us in a magnificent way. And this healing process, this forgiveness process, is very healing in our relationships. Um, Our bitterness and our anger toward one another does not harm the other person. It only harms us. Uh, we've probably heard this many times. When we harbor bitterness and unforgiveness toward another person, it's kind of like taking, a, you know, it's like taking a, you know, drop of strychnine or something, and then hoping that the other person dies. Okay, it only harms us. It doesn't harm the other person. Especially if you think about it, maybe it's something that's a person who's dead. You think your bitterness and anger against them is still har- is harming them in some way? No. And so God wants us to let go of those things so that we can have and enjoy the abundant life and that he can work in us and through us to do mighty things. Who do you need to call today? Who do you need to forgive? The Holy Spirit is going to bring that person to your mind. Who do you need to apologize to? Forgiveness is a healing balm. It takes a supernatural act of God to do this. He has to come in and do the work. And we have to invite Him and want Him to do that work. And once we can clear out the pipe, once we can clear these these issues among our family life, in our personal lives, in our church life, the Spirit of God is going to do mighty things when He can move and work through us freely. In our next sermon together... It's going to be about going through these steps as individuals. Matthew 18, that outline of when a brother sins against you, these are the steps that we have to follow. But broadly, I want us to think about the importance of forgiveness today. I want you to be praying, Lord, show me what areas of my life, what relationships need to be mended. Lord, convict me of these things. The secret of the strength in Joseph's life Was his dependence on God. We have to very much show God that same dependence. Lord, I am depending on you to help me with this problem. I have this problem. I'm angry. I'm bitter. Lord, I want it to be resolved. Please help me. Showing God the same dependence on him that Joseph had. Who do you need to call today? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to apologize to? Let's pray and ask the Lord to to reveal those things to us. Kind Father in heaven, Lord, these are hard words that you give us in your word that you want us to follow. You want us to live in harmony with you. You want us to reflect your character. You're a very forgiving God. You're a very generous God. You're a loving God. And so when we harbor anger, And bitterness and resentment we're not reflecting you we're reflecting our carnal nature so dear god i'm praying that you come into each one of us into our hearts into our minds lord help us to let go help us to work through in our relationships at home our relationships at church our relationships with our family dear god we want you to be able to use us in a mighty way and we know that when we have these issues It hinders the flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, I'm just praying for conviction. And I'm praying that you would give us willing hearts to be able to yield to that conviction. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful that you have not left us as orphans. And, Lord, that you are seeking to work with each one of us. Help us, dear God. Soften our hearts. Soften our minds. And Lord, continue to be with us and guide us in the rest of our Sabbath day and help us to reflect your character to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing song is going to be brought to us by Mark Ringwelski.
0: Is greater far Than tongue or pen Can ever tell It goes beyond The highest star And reaches to The lowest hell The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win his erring child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. strong, it shall forevermore endure, the saints' and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the sky of parchment made? Were every stock On earth a quill And every man A scribe by trade To write the love Of God above Would drain the ocean dry Nor could the scroll stretch from sky to sky saints and days
1: Thank you so much for your loving kindness towards us, dear God. The measureless love of God. I'm so thankful for that Him. Dear God, we want to be able to reflect that love to the world around us. We don't want to reflect bitterness and anger and animosity. We want to reflect the loving kindness and forgiveness of the almighty God. Lord, please help us. Please work in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, please do a mighty work in us as individuals and, Lord, throughout our our church and throughout our conference as we're preparing for camp meeting. Lord, we want to experience the revival that you have for us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love toward us. Thank you so much for your grace. Please continue to be with us as we go out from here. Help us to be a beacon of light. In our community and in our sphere of influence, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.